I, uh, I taught as a high school teacher from 1995 to 2014 in some capacity. High school counsellor, dean of students, manual arts teacher, Christian studies teacher. I always thought I could be a teacher forever when I was on uh, holidays. Uh, but uh, alas, you can't be on holidays all the time. There's one thing about teaching that I actually found to be really, really helpful and it was the end of the year. It was, it was kind of the most painful, but also the best part about teaching, I think. And it's the best part about schools, I think. And that's that you, at the end of the year, you get to assess where students are up to. And you get to just give a summary of where someone arri- has arrived at the end of the year. Like There are a lot of jobs, and many of you are involved in jobs, where you actually don't get to have a point Every year where you actually summarise everything that's happened, you put it down on paper, you work out this is where we got to and then you work out how we're going to go forward from here. I always felt like teaching provided a really sweet way of closing things out and actually providing the opportunity for a a fresh start, but a fresh start that builds on something that was actually summarised and and nailed down. You with me? There's, There's a real benefit in that. There's a lot of jobs that aren't like that. And I'll just tell you, being a pastor is not like that, all right? You don't have a point, and some of you kind of go, that it would be kind of fun, right? But where you give out some exams in the church, and you, you assess everyone, and then you write a report card on them. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't keep the role of uh, the back of church. Um, but I, I guess what I'm saying here is, is it's just nice to work out where have you come from, and, and just kind of draw a line in the sand and say, this is where... It, I've come to, and this is a good summary of where I'm up to, and and now I can move on. You do something, you finish it, you assess it, and you bring closure to it. There's value in that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the end of the year is a little bit like a report and assessment period at a school. You get to the end of the year. Now, you can just kind of blast on in to the new year, right? You can just get right into the new year and not even think about what's happened this year But it's good, isn't it, just to pull up for a few moments and just assess and reflect on 2018. I mean, they do it in the news, right? I mean, you're just going to see the newsreels over the next day or so, if you haven't already, reflecting on all the news stories of 2018. It's good to stop. It's good to reflect. It's it's good to think not about just doing the same things in 2019, but growing and maturing, even if you're 80 Growing and maturing. How do I do things differently going forward? And today I just want to provide the opportunity for you to slow down a little bit and reflect. I mean, in a very real sense, we're reaching the end of a season. 2018 is a season. And it's good for you to just kind of pull up and just go, okay, what just happened? And for some of you, it's just been a full-on year and you are kind of going, what the heck just happened, you know? It was like you just got hit by a bus uh, in 2018. You're just kind of going, we just seem to pull up and just go, what just happened? And how do we go on from here? How do we, how do we grow? Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 has got a classic passage which is often um, read and, and, and referred to with regard to seasons. And I won't read it all, but let me read a few verses for everything there's a season. And a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. You get the idea. 
there's seasons, there's, there's times and there's places to do things. And I think the end of the year is a good time and place to slow down and just say, what happened? How did I grow? Let's, you know, in, in a small way today, let's just summarise where we got to last year. And then let's think about how we can grow and do better going forward. What did you learn? What did you learn from 2018? What happened? How did you grow? How can you move into the new year? Not with a vain hope, but with a sure and certain hope. All right. And you're going to have to do a bit of work today. I've got a whole bunch of scrap paper. So I'm going to ask you three questions today as we go through the message. And I'd love for you to actually put some answers down on paper. And everyone can do this probably down to about grade five or four. Okay? And if you want to use your mobile phone, you can do that. All right, that'd be a cool way to check Facebook without everyone else realising that's what you're actually doing. Okay, but just uh, grab a piece of paper here if you don't have one. If you've got a notebook or something, you can... uh, Thanks, Ray. Round of applause for Ray. Now, we've got some some pens. Does anyone need a pen? These have been baptised. Anyone need a pen? Put your hand up. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for volunteering. That's great. She needs a pen too. Someone on this side? Oh, no, I don't have any pens in there. Put your hand up if you need a pen from Lynn. All right, here we go. Here's where we're going today. Three points today, and we're going to keep it shorter today. The first one is this, growing up, messing up, and living into. That's where we're going today. Growing up, messing up, and living into. Let's start with growing up. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. Jesus grew up. And, and when you grow up as a human, you don't ever arrive. There's always a process of growing up and getting wiser. That's a normal human thing to do. Everyone's meant to grow in wisdom. Are we out of pens? There's a couple in there. Everyone's meant to grow in wisdom. And kids, I want you to hear this, even your parents. Even your parents need to grow in wisdom. They need to get wiser you know we we need to grow i mean if i can just put it this way no one's meant to be an idiot their whole life like you're just not some of you go well i know some people like that and i would just say to you that's abnormal if someone's an idiot their whole life that's abnormal you're meant to grow in wisdom and the bottom line is that when you actually see someone who's silly and foolish their whole lives your instinctive response is there's something wrong with that person Because it's normal and natural and right to grow in wisdom. But here's here's the the caution about growing in wisdom. You need to be careful about how you grow in wisdom. This is the uh, fall of humanity in uh, Genesis 3, 1 to 5. The devil said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees 
in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is it a good thing for a human to know the difference between good and evil? It is, right? Is it good for humans to grow in wisdom in knowing the difference between good and evil? Absolutely it is. And here's a text out of Hebrews 5 that cashes that out. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Listen to this. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. You're meant to grow in the knowledge of good and evil. That's part of being wise. The problem with Adam and Eve is they just kind of grasped that and they wanted to do it on their own timeline and they actually wanted to become like God. It wasn't that they wanted to grow in wisdom and mature. They wanted to be the ones in charge of that. So how do you grow in wisdom? How do you mature? Well, there's lots of ways to grow in wisdom. I mean, I used to say to... uh, Students at the school here, when I taught here, that um, a wise person learns from everyone else's mistakes and a fool learns from their own. You can learn through experience, right? It's not always the best way to learn wisdom, but you can actually learn wisdom through experience. You can grow in wisdom because someone who's wiser than you walks through life with you. And one of the ways that you can actually grow in wisdom is to reflect and to think back and to actually slow down a bit you know when when you succeed at stuff you should reflect on it what is this doing to me what what am i becoming am i going in the direction that i need to be going when you fail failure has a way of forcing you to reflect and to think about what you've been doing do you know what the enemy of this kind of wise thinking and reflection is busyness isn't it it's doing too much stuff You just need to stop doing some stuff and not try to do everything. You need space in there to actually think about the things that you're doing so that you can evaluate what you're doing, where you're headed. And that's part of what I want to do today. It's like, let's slow down and reflect on the past year. And and I would just encourage you, do you have that in your life? Do you have markers and times in your life where you just slow down And you intentionally make a space to think about what the heck it is that you're doing. Or what the heck it is that you just did. Is is that what you're supposed to be doing? Or do you just keep adding more stuff without thinking strategically and wisely about what you're actually doing? I mean, this is a reasonably common conversation between Ange and I at the end of the year as we start having this conversation about goals and objectives. We just just talk about that. What, What about 2019? So here's, here's your first question. Here's your first question. If you've written some stuff on the paper, you know, full marks for you already, you'll do well in your report. Um, here's the first question. Where did you grow in wisdom in 2018? So specific answers. Because it would be sad, would it not, if we just spent a whole year and you didn't get any wiser (laughs) at all 
So this is kind of, Australians don't like doing this, but this is kind of like give yourself a rap. Like God actually took me through some stuff and I actually grew in wisdom. He enabled me to grow in wisdom. Where was wisdom lacking? Maybe that might help you to find out where some other areas are where you're being wise. Here's a good one. Maybe you've got, there's a temptation in your life and this year is the first time you said no to it three times in a row. Like that would be wisdom, right? That would be wisdom. You're just like, that's a good sign. Saying no three times in a row instead of saying no once and then giving in, that's a growth in wisdom. You know, so I'm not even thinking like you've got to find this massive big thing. Like let's just think about the details of life. Where... Have you grown in wisdom? All right, I'm going to throw to the crowd here for about 30 seconds. This is hazardous, right, because of the tall poppy syndrome in Australia, but is, is there one or two people that would be happy to stand up and just tell an area where you think you've grown in wisdom this year? This is like... That's amazing. Yeah. Do you all get that? Just coming at things and just assuming now or just, you know, having the gun loaded in a sense that God is actually at work and he's doing stuff already rather than thinking it's all going bad and, and, and praying prayers of petition, which is there's nothing wrong with a prayer of petition, but you need to know that God's active and, and doing stuff in everything, even the bad stuff. That, that's, man, that's, that's growth in wisdom. One other person? You're amongst friends. Oh, this is like a staring contest. Uh, yeah, yeah. So releasing things over to God and handing things over to God for Him to look after, and you trusting in Him. That's man. That's wise. That's that's a way to grow in wisdom. I want to stay in the positive, right? You know, we could easily talk about foolishness that you saw in your life. Um, you know, not, not, not even necessarily... You know, there's a whole bunch of living that's not necessarily... Well, it kind of is sinning, but it's not even really about sin. It's just like living life badly. Like, that's kind of what wisdom is. Wisdom is not just intellectual stuff, but it's, it's being able to live well with what you actually know. Um, and I wonder... Uh, what you need to do to grow in wisdom in 2019. Just to do it like to just be normally and boringly human in 2019 and just mature a bit more and grow a bit more. What do you need to do? Do you need to get some more training? Do you need someone to mentor you? Do you need some more experience? Do you need to take 
some more risks. Do you need to enlarge your circle of wisdom? You need to consult more people. A few thoughts. What about messing up? Messing up. This is 1 John 1 verse 6 to 8. Uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I do want to just address a reality from this year and that's just the areas where we mess up and we get things wrong. And you know, you know what guilt is? Guilt is when you've uh, committed an offence or a crime. You've done something wrong. And we live in an interesting culture that just doesn't have a whole lot of place for guilt. And I want to say to you that I, guilt is actually, well, it's, it's hard to even call it a good thing or a bad thing. It's a thing. Like if you've done something wrong, you experience guilt. And you ought to experience guilt if you've done the wrong thing. And all of us in 2018 did the wrong thing at one point or another. And I should say did the wrong things because it's plural. We, we all got stuff wrong. We, we didn't do what God asked us to do. We didn't love him with all of our hearts and we didn't love our neighbours as ourselves this year. We, we got things wrong and we were rightly guilty of that. Rightly guilty. And the bottom line is that many of us have probably even blown it on the way to church today. Somehow. <laughs> Somewhere. And, and you're actually, you're guilty as you sit right now. This is a great pick-me-up message, isn't it? Just before New Year's. You know, some people rail against guilt and they say it's bad. And now, I, man, I, I don't like feeling guilty. But there's nothing intrinsically wrong with feeling guilty. It's, it's actually a very right thing to feel when you've done the wrong thing. Some people say it's bad, we just need to get rid of it, that you shouldn't feel it, but I actually disagree with that. Now, a whole bunch of things can get mixed up in guilt, and I just want to talk about a couple of those things today, um, but it's, it's a real kind of mixed bag, all right? You, can, you talk about the conscience, there can be condemnation in there, there can be shame in there, and regret. Let me throw a few out for you. The first one I want to throw out for you is the conscience. Now, not many people talk about the conscience anymore. But I think we ought to talk about it more. And parents, I think you need to be talking about your kids' consciences that they have. What's your conscience? It's that thing inside of you that feels bad when you've done something wrong. It's kind of that, the guilty conscience. It's like an internal conviction that you've done the wrong thing. What's the general tendency in our society with regard to the conscience? Suppress it, overrule it, silence it, don't listen to it. And I think part of the reason for this is because, by and large, as a culture, people don't believe in objective truths anymore. They don't believe in objective morals, that some things are actually right and wrong. So when you don't believe that, it doesn't leave a whole lot of space for having this feeling inside of you that you've just done the wrong thing. But the weird thing is that people still feel it. People still have their conscience operating even when they're a bit confused about what's actually right and wrong. And I want to suggest to you today that the conscience is an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift from God. 
One theologian put it this way. He said that the conscience is the soul's automatic warning system by which, which says, pull up, pull up when we are doing something wrong. I mean, you get a, a feeling of a plane, don't you? It's like you're, gonna, you're crashing. You need to pull up. You need to stop. That's what the conscience actually does. It, it's, just a, it's a warning light and siren internally that's saying, stop, stop, stop. You know what I'm talking about? Now, the conscience has some limitations. One of the limitations is that the conscience is based on the highest internal standard that you actually have. So it's actually dependent upon what you think is right and wrong. Now, that's good and bad. But one of the bad things about it, I guess, in a sense, or the weaknesses of it, is that it only measures against... Your conscience only operates against what you already know. Like you could actually think that something is good and right to do and, and go and do it and, and it could actually be wrong and you wouldn't actually feel badly about it because you don't know. And there's a need when you're talking about the conscience to not just work out what's right and wrong for yourself but to have something else cut across it. And that something else that you need to cut across it is actually is God himself, what he says. You know... We read out of Genesis 3 before, you're not meant to be the determiner of what's good and evil on your own like Adam and Eve wanted to do. You're meant to receive that from God himself. The weakness of the conscience is also that it only tends to alert you when you do something wrong. <laughs> it doesn't actually help you to do what's right. It alerts you when you do something wrong. And even when it's clear, it can be that you're wrong. But we do, we do well to value and cherish the conscience. Here's the strength of the conscience, all right? The strength of the conscience is that it tells you what's going on in your heart and what your intentions and your motives are, right? Hang with me for a sec. Let's say, for example, that um, you thought that wearing pink lipstick was evil, right? Now, is, is wearing pink lipstick, let's just stay with females at this point in time, if wearing <laughs> pink lipsticks, lipstick, is that morally wrong, like evil to do? It's not, right? It's not evil to do it. Some of you are going, well, it might be. But generally speaking, wearing pink lipstick is not wrong. Now, if you actually believed that wearing pink lipstick was wrong, and you went ahead and put pink lipstick, lipstick on, what would that say about what's going on in your heart? That you're intent on doing the wrong thing. Even if the thing you were doing wasn't wrong, it actually discloses the fact that your heart is intent on doing the wrong thing. That's where the conscience can be particularly helpful. And you actually find this in, uh, in the scriptures in Romans 14, 20 to 23, about whether you should eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is, not, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Listen to this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for, for, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." 
What's the problem here? There's a Christian who thinks it's wrong to eat food sacrificed to idols. And Paul's saying, there actually isn't a problem with that. But if you go ahead and eat it when you think it's wrong, there's a problem with you doing it, even if the thing that you're doing is not wrong. Does that make sense? Because your heart is to break the law and not to listen to God. So what, what am I saying in this section? I'm saying your conscience is really helpful and it's really valuable and we ought to foster it and we ought to encourage it in our kids if you're parents and we ought to be sensitive to it because it can tell us a lot about what's going on for us. J.I. Packer says this about the conscience. He says, An educated, sensitive conscience is God's monitor. It alerts us to the moral quality of what we, we do or plan to do. It forbids lawlessness and irresponsibility and makes us feel guilt, shame and fear of the future rep- retribution that it tells us we deserve when we have allowed ourselves to defy its restraints. Satan's strategy is to corrupt, desensitise and if possible kill our consciences. The relativism, materialism, narcissism, secularism and hedonism of today's Western world help him mightily toward his goal. His task is made yet simpler by the way in which the world's moral weaknesses have been taken into the contemporary church. Now, that's the conscience. Let me quickly address this one. Regret. Let me ask you this question. You think about your year. And this is really what I'm wanting you to do. Like, think about your year. Where did you notice your conscience, the light going off, the warning light going off, the siren sounding? What in 2018 do you regret? Is it good and healthy to regret things? Now, that, that's a big question, which would, you could probably preach for a few sermons on that one. But is it good and right to regret things? You know, people talk about not being able to forgive themselves. It's a, it regrets the feeling sorry for the bad things that we've done. I mean, it's an interesting one. There's a, that one's a real mixed bag too, regret, isn't it? But is there actually a helpfulness in feeling regret for things that you've done? Like as you look back at 2018 and there's things that you've done that were wrong... Is, is there a healthy way to look at that and regret it? And, and I want to suggest to you this morning, there actually is. There is a healthy way to look back at that and regret it. Not in a life-dominating way, necessarily, and we'll look at that in a minute, but just in a way that it's like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. I just wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I kept it clean in that particular area of my life. Perhaps regret is not as helpful a word as uh, the words that uh, the Scriptures use. The Scriptures um, in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 speak about it this way. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And it almost looks to me like um, Paul here is talking about Jesus and uh, two people that had a particular response to Jesus. Peter denied Jesus and Judas betrayed him. And there were two vastly different results. Peter, Peter's regret led to him being sorry and saying sorry and being forgiven. It actually led to his salvation. Judas's regret 
led to him dying, spiritually and physically. You see, worldly kind of grief or regret, if you want to put it that way, leads people toward death. But if you've got godly regret or godly grief, it leads you toward repentance, saying sorry, confessing that you've done something wrong in Jesus, cleansing you and you being saved. And I think, I remember reading years and years ago this article, I think it was a Banner of Truth article years ago, which is a Scottish um, Presbyterian um, publisher. I remember reading this article where this, this person said, wrote that it was actually really, really helpful for wisdom and for your life to remember the sour taste of the dumb things that you did and the bad things that you did. And, and to a small extent... I'm not talking about life dominating, but to a small extent, is it, is it helpful every now and then just to remember the sour taste of the things that you got wrong? I think so. I think it is. Not in a way that you're just overcome by it, because Jesus is, if you love Jesus and you've repented and you've said sorry to Jesus, then this is true of you. It's led you to salvation. It's led to you being cleansed by Jesus. Unless, of course, you haven't done that. And today's an opportunity for you to do that. You can actually say sorry to Jesus for the stuff that you've done wrong and he'll cleanse your record. And it doesn't lead to death. It actually leads to life and salvation. This is what 1 John 1 verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's your question that I want you to reflect on. Two parts to it, but this is the second one. Is there anything that you've not confessed or repented of from 2018 that you can think of? To God or to others? I mean, it's it's like, let's start 2019 clean, can we? So if there's anything that you can think of that you just need to say sorry to Jesus or someone else for, let's... You know, let's put it on your to-do list. Square that one away, get it done. Take a moment just to uh, reflect on that. All right, growing up, messing up, and living into. Here's where we go now. Let me wrap up really quickly. Genesis 1 verse 1 starts this way, in the beginning. You know what's significant about that? The Bible, the text that teaches you about God, is written in story form. It's telling you a story. Here's what happened way, way, way back. Let me tell you the story. You know, and, and what we notice when we read Scripture is that the way that God reveals himself is through a story. And it's not that you can't work it out intellectually, and it's not that you, at some level, might be able to do some kind of observational kind of scientific ex- experiments on God and, and work something out that might be true. You know, you can, you can work out intelligent design and you can learn things about him. You can do all that sort of stuff. But if you came to me and you said, Peter, what is the main way that God reveals himself to people that you can identify where God's at work? How, how does he do it? I'd say through story. 
That's what he does. That's, that's what the whole Bible is. Now, I don't know whether you're disappointed by that. You might go, oh, that's a bit disappointing. It would have been nice to have a textbook. You know, that, that would have been cool. Or we go and do some kind of university study and we can learn some facts about God. Well, yeah, there are facts about God, but primarily, you know what he's doing is he's actually communicating who he is in a story and it's actually the best way if you've got a particular objective in mind. What is that? Well, the best way to learn someone, sorry, the best way to learn about someone and to get to know someone personally is to hear how they operate in a story, isn't it? I mean, that's why we go to the movies. That's why we watch a lot of the TV that we watch. We want to see the character development because somehow as we sit and we watch this story going, going on, we get to know the people that we're watching on the screen. You know, God is like crazy interested in you knowing him personally. So it makes like the best sense ever that he would reveal himself to you in a story. I mean, there's a lot of you, if Jesus came and he said, right, I'm going to write, you know, some kind of university textbook that's got a whole bunch of factual things about me, you, you just, there's a bunch of you just, I mean, you'd probably finish reading it after about 20 pages, wouldn't you? It's, it's killing me. But, but it's, I mean, some of you go, man, the Bible's hard enough to read as it is, right? And why, why is, it, is the Bible hard to read sometimes? Because it's actually written... It's a story about a particular time and place. And you don't always know all the things that are going on in that time or that place. And that's what makes it harder to read. But it is a story. He tells you about himself in a story and it draws you in to see him and to know him personally. Listen to this from Eugene Peterson. He says this, Story doesn't just tell us something and leave it there. Story invites our participation. A good storyteller gathers us into the story. We feel the emotions, get caught up in the drama, identify with the characters, see into nooks and crannies of life that we had overlooked, realise there is more to this business of being human than we had yet explored. If the storyteller is good, doors and windows open. And do you know what we see in the story of the scriptures, the story that God is writing across the whole of history? We see every other story, when it's a good story and it uplifts the human spirit, every other story copies that. Have you noticed that? There's a big problem. Looks like it's all going to go down the, the S-bend. A hero comes along, sacrifices himself, saves the day, and everything ends up good. Plagiarism. Right? They've just copied God's story. That's the whole story that's been happening. Everything's in trouble. You're in trouble. No one else can help. We've tried. It didn't work. It looks like it's all going to go down the S-bend. A hero shows up, Jesus he gives his life and, uh, on a cross to save you. And then in the end, everything ends up good. And you know, you get to know him really well as he reveals himself in that story. Now, here's the third question. When you think about 2018, I'm going to ask you a question that's something like this. Don't write it down yet, but I'm going to ask you a question that's something like this. Where did you see God at work in 2018? Now, what I'm... What I'm not, I'm not asking you to give me some kind of scientific answer. Oh, you don't even have to hand anything in, all right? You don't have to give me anything. But I'm not asking you to write down a scientific answer. I'm really asking you to write down a couple of dot points about a story. 
you know, I was at a funeral on Friday and a guy came up to me and he'd been talking to my dad and he wanted to find out about the project church. So you know what I did? I told him a story. I told him a story of how it started and what God's been doing in the place. And he, got a, he, got a, he just got pretty excited, actually. <laughs> he said, oh, man. He said, that is so good. I said, yeah, it is good. But what was it? It wasn't like a 17-bullet-point kind of list of these empirical observations that, that I had. It was like, no, let me tell you a story. And, and who God is and his activity comes to light in the midst of a story. So here's your question. Where did you see God at work in 2018? And a subset kind of question there is, what did you learn about him personally? Just take a minute or two to think about that. What, what is a story that you could tell about something that God did in 2018? Now, here's your homework. At the end of the service today, I want you to tell someone that story. Can you do that before you go home? Tell someone that story. Because that, that's what we need to be doing, right? We need to be telling each other stories of where God's been doing stuff and where he's shown up. And it's good for you to actually... It's, it's not just good for someone else to hear your story of what God got up to in 2018... It's good for you to tell it because it reminds you of God's activity and what he's done in the year. I'll finish with this. Eugene Peterson's got the best stuff that I've read on story and the scriptures. It's just amazing stuff. I'll finish with this quote. Spiritual theology using scripture as text does not so much present us with a moral code and tell us, live up to this. Nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this. The biblical way is to tell a story and invite us, live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in this God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. I'm done. I'm going to close with a poem. So if the music team just want to um, come up. Seems to be the um, flavour of the month at the moment at the project. Reading poems at the end. don't know who the author is uh, it's attributed to um, it's actually called the teacher's poem I want you to think about this in the context of 2019 he came to my desk with a quivering lip the lesson was done have you a new sheet for me dear teacher I've spoiled this one I took his sheet all, spo- all soiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted And into his tired heart I cried, do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. He took my day all soiled and blotted and gave me a new one all unspotted. And into my tired heart he cried, do better now, my child. Isn't that beautiful? 
That's what Jesus says to you. You know, we can all say, look, we got a bunch of things right in 2019. And we also messed a whole bunch of things up as well. And you know what he does is he, for those who receive him and who trust in him, he comes and he cleanses and he fixes all, everything up that was a mess. He says, here you go, here's another one. <laughs> and that's what you get. You get another 29, well, you get 2019, you get another year. Amen? He says, do better now, my child, grow up, keep growing up. Why don't you stand with me and I'll pray and, and we'll sing. Let me tell you something about 2019. I know something about 2019 if you love Jesus. It's going to be good. Even when it's bad, it's going to be good. Because when I say good, I don't mean necessarily happy good. Or even easy good, I just mean it's going to be good because he guarantees that. Because good can still be good even when it's not happy or easy. Who knows that? It can be. And what makes it good is his presence. He promises to be with you. So you don't be timid or shy about the new year. You race into it because he's already there. And uh, it's, it's going to be good. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we so, so desperately need a new start. And we need that new start so often. We need a fresh start. And we do, even as we stand here now, just want to let 2018 be 2018. I want to let you lead us into 2019. Let you cleanse the regrets of 2018, the failures, the messiness. I want to acknowledge the ways that you've grown us and made us wiser in 2018. And we would pray, make us wiser still and help us to do well with this new year that you've given us. And thank you that you're going to be right there alongside us helping us to do well and helping us to endure when it's hard and celebrating with us when it's good. Amen. Be thou, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, say that thou art thou my best love by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Riches, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only are first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. 
great God of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joy, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all heart. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. I just want to pray this uh, doxology over you, and it's from uh, Jude, and it speaks of Jesus as the one who can keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Now, if you've got someone, if you've got a side gunner like that... <laughs> It can keep you blameless. you got confidence for 2019, right? You just do. It's like, I can get into it and make a complete hash of it and it's going to be okay. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Have a good day.